Since I am still kind of new here, I'm going to give you some privileged information on Angie Walls. Most people don't know this, but I did not get my driver's license until I was 23. Yep. Um, I actually was pregnant with Maggie at the time, and I was so terrified that they were not going to give me my driver's license that I wore my tightest maternity shirt in hopes to pull at the heartstrings of the people at the DMV so they would feel sorry for this poor pregnant mama who just wanted to be able to get her baby to the doctor. And uh, when the guy walked up to the car to give me my driver's test, I even pulled one of these. Hello. (laughs) Just so it would be like extra obvious that I was pregnant. Um, But as a teenager, it just wasn't in the family budget to have me have a driver's license. And then college is ridiculously expensive. So finally, after Tim and I got married and we were pregnant and it had to happen, um, I did it. But you should also know that I had a little bit of driving baggage My uh, very first time out with my permit at 17 years old, my dad took me to an empty parking lot in Sun River, Oregon. And when I say it was empty, I mean it was empty except for one car. Guess what I hit? That one whole car in the parking lot. It was kind of funny because we were here last weekend for my daughter's birthday party, and I was the one car left in the parking lot, and there was a kid learning to drive, and I thought, oh, dear Jesus, like, this is it. This is payment. But it was, our car is fine. Um, So I tell all of this to you to lay some foundation for the fact that When I was 22, newly out of college, got one of my very first grown-up jobs, and I was living in Milwaukee, but worked in Beaverton, which is not a big deal for somebody who has a car, but for me, that meant that I got to get up at 5.15, well, actually start walking at 5.15 to the mile to the transit center, and then get on the bus and go to downtown Portland, walk another quarter of a mile, get on another bus, and get to work. It took time, it took preparation and investment to get myself to work on time. I had to lay out my clothes ahead of time, I had to plan my meals ahead of time, I had to have my ticket ready, so whenever that bus came, I was ready. Sometimes it came early, and I had to be ready for that, I had to be there early. Sometimes it came late, and I had to still be ready to wait as long as it took for the bus to get there. If I got anxious and wandered off to get some coffee, I took the risk that I was going to miss my bus. And if I did, it was my fault because I should have been prepared waiting an expectation. So that is the kind of all-in investment we are talking about today when we are digging into our passage in Matthew 25. And our big idea for the day, and I don't have this up on slides, so if you like to take notes, you can write this down. Our big idea is only a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit will make you ready for the kingdom of heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit will make you ready for the kingdom of heaven. So as a way of honoring God's word, let's stand together and open your Bibles to Matthew 25. We're going to start in verse 1 through 13. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he is dropping some major truth bombs about what they should expect after his death and resurrection. 
but they are not picking up what he is laying down. They are like not cluing into the whole, I will not always be with you thing. So he is telling them stories called parables to get them outside of their box and help them start thinking about the way that his death and resurrection is going to drastically change the way that God interacts with humanity from that point on. So Matthew 25, verse 1. Let's read. In that day, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Behold, here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! And then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, The other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So with this parable in mind, let's take a minute Take a step back and lay some context because what we just read actually has so many moving parts and cultural context clues that we just need to dig in for a second. Throughout the gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the last couple months, we have been learning about the kingdom of heaven, which is also known in Mark's gospel as the kingdom of God. And we have learned that the kingdom of God is the domain or the place where God is king and where his will is done. And there's a twofold nature to this kingdom of God. There is the now kingdom and the not yet kingdom. The now kingdom involves the way that the kingdom is here already because Jesus died on the cross and then he broke all the known existing rules of life and death, and he rose again. Awesome. Which shattered the death-like grip that sin had on our lives, made it possible for us to say no to sin and yes to the holy and whole life that God had created us for. The now kingdom of God is breaking through in our present circumstance, and as a result, the kingdom is impacting lives all over the world. John 1.5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. The implication of the kingdom in the now is that God is restoring this world to be his domain. To be where he is king and where he actually rules with truth, justice, love, mercy, and righteousness. And the fact that the kingdom is here means that God is already answering our plea in the Lord's Prayer when we ask him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So the not yet kingdom of God then involves the second coming of Christ. All through the Bible, even the Old Testament, we are foretold of the time when Christ will come again. Because as amazing as it is when we celebrate at Christmas that Jesus came as a baby and he died and was resurrected and he started the kingdom of heaven's birth and growth here on earth through the church, we feel it. We all know that things still are not as they were meant to be. Things in creation won't fully be set to right until Jesus comes again in his fullness to establish his rule and his reign on earth. Until all hearts truly love and serve God and walk out their days according to his true and, lo- and trust and loving precepts. Until all the orphans have homes and hunger and sickness are gone. Until lawsuits and divorce and wars are not our answer to problems anymore. And until the spirit of hatred and selfishness is dead and no longer tries to undermine the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. And so it is that we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. And as we discuss the kingdom of heaven, 2,000 years later, after its initiation, we are still waiting for the bridegroom, which is how Jesus describes himself, to come again and be reunited with his bride, the church. And it's because of that tension that we gain insight into parables like the one we're talking about today. This parable is actually one of many that Jesus told his disciples when they were asking him what would be the sign of the coming of the end of the age. All right, how many of you might, if you're brave enough, admit that just like me, you are a hopeless romantic? Anyone? Yes. Okay. I'll be completely vulnerable, and some of you may be shocked. For the last 19 years of my life, that's like two-thirds of my life, I have watched The Bachelor. Like, very religiously watched The Bachelor. Um, And thankfully, the relationship we are talking about here with Jesus and the church is nothing like The Bachelor. Because otherwise it would have like a 2% chance of actually making it down the aisle. Right? But I also love Hallmark movies. Anybody else? Oh my gosh. We are living with Tim's parents right now. And for the first time in my life, I have cable, which has been bad for me and Hallmark movies because I have watched so many on the DVR. Um, But the thing that I love about them is that just like Jesus and his bride, the church, there is a happy ending. So as we get into all the ushy-gushy wedding details here, there are some elements to Jewish village weddings that we need to understand. First is the bridegroom, Jesus himself, who has come to bring the church, the bride, into relationship with himself like a wedding. We got that. We're good. Whew. The next is that of the virgins, who are like the bridesmaids, and they are key to what we are talking about here, and we're going to get into it a little later. But if you will, you can imagine them with me. I like to imagine them in hot pink 80s bridesmaids dresses with big puffy sleeves because it just makes it that much more fun, and really that's the only reason why. The next thing we have here is the lamps. 
Has anybody here seen a hurricane lamp? Imagine it in your mind. You've got the glass. It's all curvy, and you've got the bottom with the oil, and you've got the wick coming up and the key. Everybody's picturing it. Wipe it out of your mind, because that's not what we're talking about today. But that's what we think of, and it's a little misleading to us when we are talking about this passage. So the word here used is different from the majority of other places where lamp is used. And it's more like a bowl attached to a long stick. And inside the bowl, there's a piece of flammable material, cloth maybe. And it sits inside oil that is then lit and it burns. So you can't really keep oil in it because it would spill out. So if you were going to burn the lamp for any length of time, you would have to have a flask with you to have the oil so that you could light it at the opportune time and then continue to keep it lit for as long as you needed it to burn. So here's how the wedding worked. Everyone would start out at the bride's parents' house, while the bride's father would negotiate the dowry, or the price that the groom would need to pay for the honor of getting to marry the bride. And then once that was all sorted out, they would parade through the streets and they would go to the groom's parents' house where they would have the actual wedding ceremony. This is really important because it gives us a context for the necessity of the lamps. The wedding party does not know how long the dowry negotiations are going to take. It could take well into the night, and they need to be ready that whenever they come out, they're going to light the way to the wedding. It could be pitch dark outside, and those lamps have to be ready for this critical part of getting to the actual ceremony of the wedding. So since a parable is symbolic, we can take elements and apply them to our own lives as Christians. The bridegroom, Jesus, has already paid the dowry the price of relationship with the church through his death on the cross. Amen. And we, as believers, like the bridesmaids or the virgins, are told to wait for the wedding is coming when Jesus will finally return and have his bride and will establish the final reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. But Jesus told us just at the end of the passage we read, and in the preceding chapter, Matthew 24, 36, that about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, speaking about himself, only the Father. So then that means that our job as participants, as the bridesmaids in our big pink puffy dresses, our job is to be bearers of the oil. And to be participants in the journey that go between the purchase of the bride and the ceremony. The space that exists between the death and resurrection of Jesus and when he comes again. So, if everything is symbolic here, what about the oil? What is it and why is it so crucial that the virgins were not allowed to go into the wedding feast without it? The oil mentioned in this passage is olive oil, and it's the same oil mentioned in Exodus and Leviticus when the Lord is giving them instructions on how to worship him in the tabernacle. Exodus 27.20 and Leviticus 24.2, the people are instructed to continually always provide oil for the lamp so that it will never go out, because the lamp was the only light in the holy place. That was it. 
And so it gives us a little bit of background to Jesus when he says in 9.5, in John 9.5, I am the light of the world. If the oil supplies the light, the light cannot go out. The oil must be supplied. That means that the oil is the continual and abiding presence that enables the light of Jesus to shine in the darkness. The other place that we see oil mentioned is in the anointing of priests. Exodus 29.7 prescribes that you shall take the oil and pour it over the priest and you shall anoint him. Oil sanctifies an object and makes it pure and holy. So then we can understand that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And without getting too much into the weeds of theology, the Holy Spirit is one of the three ways that God interacts with us. Through the Father, the Son, Jesus, who died on the cross to take the place for our sins, and the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is continually making us holy by his helping and abiding presence in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to have a relationship with Jesus, even though he's not physically here with us. And it's the Holy Spirit that, lets the, that lights the fuel to let the light of Jesus shine through our lives. We made it through the introduction. Woo! This is good. I got 15 minutes left, so we're going to like, we're just going. Um, with, yeah. with the Holy Spirit in mind, and we are looking forward to the not yet kingdom of God. Let's unpack this parable in light of our big idea, which was that only a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit will ready us for the kingdom of heaven. So the first of two lenses that we're going to look through is this. Kingdom preparation will be measured by our investment. Kingdom preparation will be measured by our investment. The kingdom of the now is just a shadow of what the kingdom will be like in those days. I love C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Teo got the last book today, and I'm so excited for her because it is like my favorite book. And in the last book, The Last Battle... Aslan, who is a Christ character, is calling all the rest of the characters into his country. And what they find when they get there is that it is exactly like Narnia, the land that they just were. Except that it is deeper and fuller, it's bigger and better. And what they find when they get there is that Aslan's country, or their country, is just a shadow land of Aslan's country. It's not quite like the full and real reality. And so it is with the kingdom of God. We are currently in the shadow land. So how we prepare our lives in this life helps prepare us for what is next. It's not like once we pass on, we just start over with new personalities and new experiences God is going to use everything he has taught us through the Holy Spirit here, and he's going to use it as a part of his kingdom in the next. As we wait for Jesus to return, we are investing in eternity. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells us that the way that we learn the character of 
the kingdom of God or what we are striving for when we get there to our final eternity is through the Holy Spirit. The text says that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything, and he will remind you of everything I have ever taught you. So then another part of investing in eternity is investing in the people of eternity. As you walk through life with the help of the Holy Spirit, radiating Jesus, God is going to transform the hearts and lives of people around you calling them back to himself and bringing them into oneness with God. The Holy Spirit working in your life is not just for you. I'm going to say that one again. The Holy Spirit of God working in your life is not just for you. It's not just so that you can live rightly before God, even though it's amazing to have the Holy Spirit as a helper to help you live rightly before God and to live the kind of life that brings freedom and wholeness. But it's not just so that you can live rightly before God. In fact, just as more than half of the Ten Commandments have to do with how we treat others, the major result of a life lived by the Holy Spirit is for others. It's for kingdom transformation. It's so that we can be partners with Jesus in this restoration work of bringing creation back to oneness with the creator. So if we want to participate in this wedding ceremony, this space between the death and resurrection of Jesus and the future kingdom, how do we have the oil? How do we get this relationship with the Holy Spirit? If you have a spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, you know, relationships take time, investment, dedication. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim gave us three steps for making sure that we are connected to Jesus. And Sandy, you can go ahead and bring up that slide. Um, and it's funny, we were talking through my sermon, and I was telling him my points, and his, he was talking about how, con- how to connect with Jesus. And uh, he was like, wow, your points are pretty much the same as my points. Which it should be, right? Because God is not trying to make it difficult for us to get to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. So the steps are the same for connecting with Jesus, as with the Holy Spirit, as with the Father. So here they are again. Number one, spend time in God's word. If you want to get to know God, read his love letter to you. You will get to know his heart real fast. Number two, spend time in prayer, talking to and listening to God, leaving space for him to respond. Number three, spend time with other Christians for worship and teaching and being built up. So, yes, come here. It's awesome. We love it. But also remember that I'm not saying only surround yourself with Christians because if the Holy Spirit working in our life is not just for us and it's for the transformation of creation back to oneness with the creator, then we have to be with what needs to be transformed. We have to make a conscious effort to let that light of Jesus shine and do what it was meant to do. Otherwise, there's just no point. But yes, still come here, be in church because I can't tell you how many times I have gotten worn out letting that light of Jesus shine 
and needed to be built up and needed to come back together with my brothers and sisters and worship God in community. For those of us that love this idea, but are unsure of how to actually make it work, Pastor Tim gave us a really simple way, 15 minutes to start your day, just giving it over to God. I was five minutes reading the Bible. It's about a chapter. Five minutes in worship. That could be singing if you like to do it, or listening to a worship song. If you know an instrument, play that. If you can draw, if you like to write poetry, if you're super brave and you like to dance, go for it. Spend five minutes in worship. And then five minutes talking to and listening to God. Just lifting up your day. Lifting up the people in your life that you know you're going to meet. Lifting up the people in your life that you don't know yet that you're going to meet. Lifting up your politicians, your family, your friends, and everything so that when you get there, you are ready to just let Jesus do his thing and shine out of you. Those who are not yet ready for Jesus to return are going to make excuses. They are going to say they don't have enough time. Can't tell you how many times in youth ministry we heard high school students who seem to have the most indispensable time ever tell us that they did not have time to, uh, to read their Bibles. And we just laugh at them because now we have three children and we're like, oh, oh, you silly children. <laughs> also, the people who are not ready for Jesus to return are those who have ministries but are not actually letting the Holy Spirit minister to them or them to the Holy Spirit. But those who are ready for Jesus to return are those who have invested time with the Holy Spirit. The foolish virgins rushed to go meet the bridegroom. They wanted the good, ushy-gushy feeling part. They wanted the bridegroom. They wanted Jesus, but they didn't bring the oil. They thought that their lamps were going to burn without oil. That sounds like no duh to us, right? But how many times have we thought that we were going to burn brightly for Jesus without investing time in the relationship? They thought that they were going to let Jesus shine without that oil. They thought that they were going to change the world with compassion and kindness and social justice without actually having a relationship with the one who created all those things in the first place. Without the Holy Spirit to add fuel to the flame of your faith, it'll quickly die out. Because when things get hard, and they will get hard, all your good intention and all your passions are just going to die out. Like the foolish virgins, a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is not something you can rush. It's not something you can borrow. It's not something that comes because we live in the United States, one nation under God. It's not something that comes because you go to church, even though Pastor Steve says we have the best church in the whole wide world, and I agree, or even because your parents or your family have a vital relationship with God. A relationship with God through the Holy Spirit means that you have surrendered your life to God and that you grow in that relationship by spending time in worship, the word, and in prayer. Put in a little effort, you'll yield a little result. Give God your all and you will get all of him. Kingdom preparation will be measured by our investment. And the second thing that we learn from our passage today about the kingdom is that kingdom preparation will be measured by the fruit of our relationship with Jesus. Kingdom preparation will be measured by the fruit 
of our relationship with Jesus. In the parable and in real life, the bridegroom takes a long time in coming. We are in this holding pattern of prepare and wait, prepare and wait. And in those mundane tasks of everyday life, we are told to wait actively in anticipation and preparation for when Jesus returns. And like those wise virgins, we need to stay ready no matter how long the wait is. For them, they stayed ready by making sure that they had enough oil. For us, we can withstand the length of the wait by having the Holy Spirit. So what does that actually look like, right? Having the Holy Spirit as your guide means that the spirit of the world will not rule over you. Not selfishness, lust, idolatry, contentiousness, jealousy, anger, division, corrupt sexual relationships. It means that what drives you will be different from what drives everyone else. Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul says, here's my instruction. Walk in the Spirit. And let the Spirit bring order to your life. And if you do, you will never give in to your selfish and sinful cravings. And then verse 22 tells us what will drive us if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. Unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then in verse 25, he finishes it up and says, So now since we have chosen to walk with the Spirit, let us keep in perfect step with God's Spirit. Those who have kept in perfect step with God's Spirit will respond to the waiting in confidence for Jesus to return. And those who have not kept in perfect step with God's Spirit will panic when they realize they are not ready to meet Jesus. Some people might try to take shortcuts into the kingdom of heaven by doing good works or being a good person. Some people might busy themselves with ministries instead of having a real day-to-day relationship with Jesus. Others decide that they're just going to enjoy themselves now and worry about all that God stuff later, like when I'm older and don't have important things to do. But both of those people are going to find that when the bridegroom comes, there's going to be no fuel behind their flame. The only thing that will light the lamp is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And in our text, the foolish virgins realize that the bridegroom is coming. And when they aren't prepared, the wise virgins shout, Go, buy oil! Like, now, yesterday, go! Right? I mean, logistically, the wise virgins can't share their oil because there wouldn't be enough. It would be better to have five lit lamps than no lamps at all. So go buy oil! Now, don't get me wrong, I am not saying that the Holy Spirit is anything that can be bought with your money. But what I am saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to cost you. And it is going to cost all of you. When you surrender your ways, your desires, dreams, talents, and will to God, he is going to trade it all for a filling of the Holy Spirit, which is above and beyond anything you could have pulled out or done on your own. When the foolish virgins realized the error of their ways, they ran to buy oil and they came back and realized that they were too late. The procession had happened. Everyone went into the wedding. And when they knocked at the door and asked the bridegroom if they could come in, he said, Do I know you? 
Sorry, I don't think I have a relationship with you. The foolish virgins had not invested time into a relationship. They had no fruit of being full of the Holy Spirit. So they actually had no relationship at all. No matter what they knew about the bridegroom, no matter how many of their friends were a part of the wedding, what they had was nothing. Neglecting the Holy Spirit compromises our intimacy with Jesus to the point where he could say, I don't know you. But when the wise virgins say, go buy oil, what they mean is, it's not too late. It's not too late to be the full of the Holy Spirit and give your life to Jesus. No matter where you've done, what you've done, no matter where you've been, or how long you have ignored God knocking at your heart. It's not too late. Because for the virgins of the story, the bridegroom had already arrived. But for us, we are still waiting for the return of Jesus. There is still time. As many of you know, my grandpa passed away on Wednesday of this week. He was a Lutheran pastor, faithful for decades of service. And up until, Tim, don't cry, up until the end, at 88 years old, he was filling in at several churches a month, driving around like a circuit rider, preaching and filling in for pastoral transition. But it is not the fact that my grandpa was a pastor that made him a man of God. He was faithful to spend time with God and allow himself to be led by the Holy Spirit. If you were to spend a night at his house, he would lead you in devotions every single night. He was the kind of man that you instantly felt the love of God radiating from, and you could almost feel the wisdom seeping out of him. Tim and I wish that we could just sit and listen to him for days because of the sensitivity and passion with which he talked about his Lord and Savior and the church. For many of you, you may be a little skittish at this idea of letting the Holy Spirit have complete rule and reign in your life. Remembering stories or experiences where you have seen charismatic displays of worship that were outside of your comfort zone. One of the amazing things about the Holy Spirit is that he works in all kinds of ways in all kinds of people. Having grown up in a four-square church, I can tell you that sometimes the Holy Spirit is big and extravagant in worship and can defy your logic. And also like displayed in my grandpa, a man who appeared reserved and ordered in his worship on the outside, the fire of the Holy Spirit can burn so subtly that you don't need to see it in a huge display to feel the transforming power in someone's life. As Tim and the team come up, let me ask you, do you have oil? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Is it being led by a relationship with the Holy Spirit? If the answer is yes, awesome! Find someone who doesn't and encourage them to go get oil, whatever it takes. And make sure that you are investing in your relationship with the Holy Spirit through prayer, worship, the word, and Christian community. Every day is a new opportunity for you to lay your life down for Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to have all of you. And if your answer was no, not yet, 
you've not yet asked Jesus to be the king of your life, or maybe you have, but you've not yet completely surrendered your whole life to God and asked him to give you his Holy Spirit in return, it's not too late. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise of coming back, as some people understand slowness, but he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So go get oil. Start your relationship through the Holy Spirit today. And if you are ready to make that step as we pray, make it personal for yourself and let these words represent your desire for God. Let's bow our heads and pray. God of heaven and earth, Thank you for your deep and patient love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the blame for all the things I have done wrong and taking my punishment on the cross. Please forgive me for the times that I have hurt others and I've hurt you. Holy Spirit, I want you to have all of me and to give me all of yourself in return. Guide me, mold me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to belong to your kingdom. Please fill me today by the power of the blood of Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who have walked with you a long time, we still want you. Please help us to diligently order our lives to make our relationship with you a priority. May the fruit of our lives always be fueled by a relationship with Jesus through your Holy Spirit and never out of our own efforts because we will fail every time. Transform our realities transform our world, transform our hearts. We need you. Amen.